So hello everyone, Life Jitsu, Art of Life, Frank Forza, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, it's about nine at night, long day, a lot of work projects, got to get a little workout in, it's quick, 40-45 minutes, and now I'm taking a walk, Las Vegas night, maybe 100 degrees or so, perfect. I want to talk today, happy 84th birthday to Bob Proctor. If you don't follow him, listen, there's a lot of regurgitation. There's a lot of people speaking from the same script in the motivational space. Not my thing. There's very few I listen to. Bob Proctor is one of them. He is worth the listen. He is an encyclopedia, and he is, he's in a league all his own today. He's older, so for a lot of you, he oh, he's plain, oh, he's boring, he's not fluffy, he doesn't overdo it with the hand gestures and the bulging neck veins and all the peacock and the people love and they go crazy over. He doesn't do all that. He's just a machine and he's he's just so well read and he's a masterful teacher and communicator. So you owe it to yourself, you won't regret it. Start watching some Bob Proctor, some audio books. Order one of his books. Paradigm Shift is his big thing. Follow him on social media. He's trying to get to a million followers. It's the same. You know, it reminds me, look at the Bob Proctor's world. It reminds me life's not fair. I was thinking about Sade. I was listening to some Sade videos, some Luther Vandross. Old school soul singers, right? You know you're a serious singer when say, what genre? You say, I'm just a soul singer. Not rock and roll, not pop, not R&B, just soul. Just singing from the deepest pit, the deepest recesses. You can't do it better than that, than the soul singers, the Sade's, the Luther Vandross's, the Otis Reddings. <sighs> Some others, maybe even a Janis Joplin. And even, uh, what's her name, Eva Cassidy died way before her time. Man, she... Native Marylander, just like me. And wow, she was maybe, maybe 34, 35, 36. I think cancer claimed her. Wow, listen to her somewhere over the rainbow or auto, her take on her rendition of Autumn Leaves. My goodness. But if life was fair, you would see the Otis, I mean the, even, yeah, even the Otis Reddings, the Sade, the Eva Cassidy's would just be, they have 20 million social media followers. Sade would be the biggest thing or one of the biggest things out there. Of course she has a cult following. She has a loyal following. The who's who know who Sade is. And many a people, a lot of love making and body shaking to Sade in the midnight hour. But it's a shame. A lot of the generations out there now, the millennials, whatever, the Z generation, whatever they're calling them now, they don't know too much about Sade. As my buddy Craig Math used to say when we were growing up, they don't know nothing about that. And that's a shame. So just a reminder, life's not fair. And it'll drive you crazy when you try to wrap your brain and want it to be fair. And so that brings me to, I'm very grateful. I get quite a few phone calls these days of people having a rough go of it and reaching out and saying, can you listen? Can you give me some advice? 
I don't take that lightly to be in this position and it's happening with greater frequency these days where I get those phone calls. And of course, I'm always going to take them just like a doctor takes them. You know, a doctor, a real doctor. Right? You, the money would be secondary or, or lower on the list. A true doctor is about healing people and helping people. You don't ask, do you have the insurance? Do you have the money? You just heal. You just operate. And it's the same thing when you're a teacher, when you're a healer, when you are someone that has a great empathy, a great intuition, and you understand you've been in dark places yourself, and you know how to get out of them. You know how the human mind works. You know a lot of times the buttons to push. People call you, you take that call, and you do your best. You're not always going to heal everybody. Because some people don't want to be healed. Some people aren't coachable. Some people, as Eric Nixick and others have said, are assholes. They ask, 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 ask. You give them your best advice. They just disregard it. One ear out the other. And more and more, what I've learned, when you're a teacher, when you're someone who does care about people, I had a guy, um, I was at the DMV weeks back, and the line, of course, the lines are long here at the DMV in, in Nevada, the lines are so long. So, and I didn't, I didn't get in, they have, they have them where you can book your appointment and you can bypass the line. Well, for whatever reason, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't go through that, so I had to wait in the line, and it was, it was hours and hours and hours. So I'm there and I see the dude in in front of me, behind me actually, and he's there with another one. One of them looks like he's maybe 18 years old or so. The other one looks like he's maybe 35, 40. And they look, I mean, they look like they're a little bit down in their luck. I was surmising, and he was checking me out and, and looking at me and curious of me for reasons I don't know, but... When you're in that DMV line, you're going to be there for a while. So the person in front of you, the person behind you, you might as well get comfortable with them in your space because you ain't going nowhere. So he's sitting there and he's sizing me up, not in a hostile way, but just in a curious way. Not in a, like, romantic checking me out, but just like, you know, one dude sizing up another dude. Like, what's this dude about? And... um so I could feel that, man, this guy is, for whatever reason, he's paying an inordinate amount of attention, right? Some people stand in line, they just, they're on the cell phone, some people space out, some people are zombies, and this guy, for whatever reason, was paying attention to me. And he has the 18-year-old with him. So just looking at him, sizing him up, I'm thinking, this guy hasn't been in Vegas that long, he looks like he's down on his luck. And... I mean, every every now and again, you might think, like where I'm from in Baltimore, you might think, you might be paranoid. Like, man, this guy's scouting me a little bit to see what I'm about, how much money I have in my pocket, whatever. I mean, of course, we're in a public place, but I'm thinking part of it is like this, this dude's almost casing the joint. He had that weird kind of vibe about him in a way. So we actually started talking. I'm not shy. I'm not scared of people. 
and start making conversation with the guy. And he was an, he was an interesting guy because he had a duality about him. Stocky guy a little bit. He was, in fact, he told me he was from Cleveland. Cleveland, if you're listening, got a few of you, got a few friends out there from Cleveland. Yes, I do. And even though I'm from Baltimore, I got respect and I got fond, fond, uh, feelings toward the Clevelanders. I know, been very nice to me. Maybe this dude was from Cleveland. I'm sorry, he was from Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, where I've been. When I worked for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, I had been to Columbia. We did some shows there that coincided with the Arnold Sports Festival down there and, so I've been to Columbus, Ohio. So he said, yeah. He said, I just, he'd been in Vegas about a month or so, and he was looking for work. Sure enough, a guy down on his luck. I don't know his story. I don't know what he left behind in Columbus. I don't know if there's a warrant out for his arrest or what. Or if he just came out here to start anew. But he was looking for work. And he seemed a little bit desperate for that. And in the course of us talking... He started asking me, like, well, what do you do? Where do you work? And this and that, in the hopes that I could help him. So I'm listening to him. And I'm looking at the dude, and I'm looking in the one eye. I see good, I see redemption in the one eye. And then the other eye, I see the devil. I see both in those eyes. So I'm sizing them up, and I'm thinking... You know, you got to be careful how much information you give a dude like that. Right? You got to be careful of that. So, but at the same time, there's that part of me, that helping part of me, that healing part of me that you want to plant a seed. You want to help somebody, right? So, and I'm in that line anyway. I'm in that line anyway. We're in that line for the next whatever, 45 minutes, an hour. Might as well settle in. I'm curious of people. I want to learn more about your story. So, I'm listening to him. And in the course of it, I'm thinking, you know, again, is this dude scouting me? He wants to know, I'm going to let him know where he wants to know where I live, where I'm working. Like, too much information, brother. I mean, especially when you got, especially when you got that look in your in your eyes, right? Too much information. But on the other hand, he was being respectful enough. And I personally believe in, in helping people. That's my job. That's my duty. That's how I'm wired. That's, the, that's a gift from God. So I'm thinking, you know what? I'm not going to give him too, too, too much information. But I'm going to take his number. And I'm going to plant a seed. I'm going to refer you to some jobs boards. One of them was ldsjobs.org. People don't know, but the Mormons do a great job with getting their people hired and jobs network. They do a great job. That was one of the resources. There are other resources out there for jobs, too. And so I made a few, I referred him to a few spots, to a few places, a few online places told him I'd even help him with his resume but what I really wanted because again what I've learned is no matter how much you want to help people you want to help people who help themselves 
You don't want to waste your time because time is a precious commodity. You only have so much of it. And you cannot heal everybody and you cannot heal the world and you need balance. And just like you're paying attention to people, other people and helping them, you have to help yourself. You, you are here to serve others, but you have to serve you too. You have to feel whole to do your best job for other people and help them feel whole. So the balance to be struck. So I don't know this guy. I don't know what kind of work ethic he has. I don't know what kind of drive he has. I don't know him. I don't know what he's ready for. So here's a little test. I want you to do a favor. I want you to go and order this book. Go online and order this book. Could be Think and Grow Rich. Could be Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends Influence People. Could be Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Could be Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Sized People. Whatever. Whatever book you like or you think is appropriate for that person wherever they are in their life. Victor Frankl's Man's Search, Man Search for, for Meaning. Whatever. There's some good ones out there. Could be the Bible. Some of you cringe. All oh, the Bible. Arr, like the Bible's never helped anybody. Like faith has never helped anybody. Get over yourselves. Whatever you're, whatever you're into, whatever's working for you, whatever. You meet people. Some people are religious. Sometimes you might refer a Bible. You might refer whatever. Quran, whatever. Whatever they're into. Whatever you think they're receptive to. Anyway. So, God, I got some bad rap music on the horizon. These guys are playing basketball to the slowest, most depressing music I've ever heard. Like, lamest music ever. I apologize in advance for this music. I'm, I'm going by these little 13, 14-year-old kids uh, playing basketball. And, of course, they have their speakers out and they're, they're cranking some vulgar, crappy music. You can hear it. Listen to that. Just, ugh. Just terrible. Just talentless. Ugh. Just absurd. Anyway, so what you want to do is you want to test. You want to test and see what is someone ready for. And if they want to pass stage one, you order the book, you read that book. You message me, you send me an email, whatever. We'll go from there. Read the book. I'll quiz you on it a little bit. If you don't want to read the book, I don't have any time for you. I don't. Because you're not ready. I don't know you. I'm not invested. You're not my blood. But if you want to help yourself, I just might want to help you or refer you to additional resources where you can get help. That's something that I found. So instead of pouring, you know, three hours into someone or half a day, a whole day, whatever, just plant a seed. See if they're, if they're coachable. See if they're ready. See if they'll order the book. See if they'll do, they'll write down their goals. Whatever. They'll make a list. Whatever. See if they'll follow up with you. If not, don't waste your time. Plenty of other people. Find the people that are coachable. Find the people that are ready that you can help. That's half the battle is just finding the right fit between student and teacher. And sometimes we're the student. Sometimes we're the teacher. Right? So I had a guy uh, 
yesterday called me. A fighter. A kid in his mid-twenties who I like a lot. I like him a lot. He's always been extremely respectful. He's always looked up to me. He called me up, said, Frank, I admire you. And I'm going through a lot of things. He doesn't have a job. His girlfriend of four years broke up with him. She's kicking him out of the place. And uh, he's had a bunch of people dying on him, a crazy amount of people, relatives, friends, dying prematurely. And his head is in the dumps. So he's like, man, what am I going to do? And uh, kids had, you know, he's had some a lot of allergy problems too. Guy I like a lot. So we talk probably for 50 minutes, an hour. Gave him my best advice, followed up with him today, sent him some messages, sent him some advice, a to-do list to uh, to hopefully build some momentum. And um, just letting him know somebody's there, right? Not doing anything. A lot of you are doing the same thing. So, again, not making myself. I'm not a saint. I'm just trying to do my part. We're all out there trying to a lot of us are trying to make the world a better place so it's not me you guys are doing it too i'm just talking about it so that we can maybe you see you you've been in this situation you've been in this this spot before either you've been the person who's seeking help or you've been the person who's giving advice or trying to help somebody out sometimes we're both right but as i listened to him you know i said what's What's going on? What do you think is why do you think you're in this spot? And he was worried. One thing he was worried, he's in his mid twenties now. He's thinking, Man, my window for chasing down my goals is closing. I feel like I'm wasting my life away and I'm just procrastinating. Now keep in mind this kid's twenty six, twenty seven. I'm 46. <laughs> so I'm thinking, whoa, I know how that feels to feel like your window is closing. The opportunity is going to pass you by. You're getting too old. 26, 27, man, you got, you still got plenty of time. You got plenty of time, brother. I was lost at 25, 26 myself. You got plenty of time, but here's the thing. It's a paradox. You do have plenty of time, but you don't. It's a good thing that he has that sense of urgency because we always assume that we have a lot more time. We always assume that. But the, the truth is, you know not the hour. We don't know. We assume we, we're going to wake up tomorrow. The sun's going to rise tomorrow. We're going to make breakfast tomorrow. We're going to get in the car. We're going to go to work. We're going to go for a walk. We're going to talk to our friends. We're going to check the Internet. Gonna listen to music. Whatever. We just make those assumptions. And it's not guaranteed, it's not promised. So a lot of props to the kid for not taking it for granted. And saying now the time is now. Get on it. I said, what you think's behind that procrastination? Because I know a thing or two about procrastination. That's a very common thing, right? Fear is behind procrastination. So I said, what do you think is behind that? He said, uh, fear of failure. 
a fear of failure. So I talked about uh, something with him. I said, you know, I was I was very personal, and I'll be personal now. Going back about yeah twenty years or so, I was dating a woman that I loved. I've let some good women get away. Just wasn't ready, right? Just just wasn't ready. Just wasn't didn't love myself. Didn't know who I was and. Even though I've I've always been tender and sensitive, and I think I'm a good lover. When I'm dialed in, I think I'm a very good lover. But at the end of the day, I really didn't want to commit because I didn't, I couldn't come from a deep place. I didn't have a deep love for myself. I couldn't, I couldn't love. I couldn't trust like I needed to at the time. It took a long time. Um, so I had a really good one. This was 20, 18, 20 years ago. Beautiful woman. And it was the first time in my life that I ever cheated on a woman. I cheated. And it was the stupidest cheating ever. Because I wasn't even that into the other woman. I was being the wingman for a buddy who was harassing me to be his wingman. Because he wanted this other girl that he was into that he'd been chasing for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And he needed her on a double date. And he he needed a wingman. He absolutely needed a wingman. So again, peer pressure. Good buddy of mine. I'm trying to be in his wingman. Didn't want to. Wasn't even interested in that other girl. But the temptation I got, I got away from the discipline of, hey, no, no, no. I don't want to go out with you. I don't want to double date, right? I'm not even into the other girl. No, I got I got a beautiful woman that I'm even thinking about marrying. No thanks. But instead, I'm ah oh, wingman. Your buddy's guilt tripping you. Oh, your wingman, be my wingman. Eh, you know, guilting you. All right, I'll go. Thinking, of course, I'm not gonna cheat on my girl. I've got a great girlfriend. I've got a great situation. I'm not messing around on my woman. That was the furthest thing from my mind. Only guess what? Because I was trying to do right by my buddy and be a good wingman and be a good friend, I found myself after midnight in a spot, in a temptation that I should not have been in. I should not. And I found myself alone with a woman who was okay. Couldn't hold a candle to my woman. But there I was. And it was temptation. And so... I cheated. I did not sleep with that woman. I messed around. But still, I violated the trust. I I fooled around a little bit. And guess what? After that, the craziest thing happened. Karma crept in. Karma came in, and I started thinking, my woman's cheating on me. I started to transpose on her because I had trusted her up till then because I trusted myself. But now after that, after I caved in, I didn't trust her anymore. And she went to England for the summer. She had an internship there. Beautiful woman. And excuse me, I'm drinking some water. So she was in London. I visited her there 
but she was there for most of the whole summer, and I was in Southern California. And we would talk on the phone almost every night. We would email, and man, I don't know what came over me, but I became something I never wanted to be, something I'd never been before. I became the jealous boyfriend, and it was terrible. It was so terrible because not only was she annoyed and irritated, and not only did she start to look like she had less respect for me over time, because I looked like a weaker man. This guy that she knew that was confident, that was strong, that was loving, had now become this jealous boyfriend. And so she started, my stock started to fall in her eyes from afar. I would call her, what are you doing? What's that in the background? What's that noise? It was terrible. It's absurd. So I started to not like myself. I'm like, man, I mean, this is pathetic. I need to stop this. And I went through that for probably, I mean, even, of course, her and I in due time. Right, We lasted maybe another three, four months, and that just got old for both of us. I did not know how to turn it off. And so that relationship, a very good, one of the best relationships of my life, one of the best women, and I blew that. And so after that, I had another girlfriend, and then I still couldn't turn that jealous thing off. I was the jealous boyfriend again. I'm like, man, I always hated the jealous boyfriend. I always thought that was the stupidest thing. I was never a jealous guy. And here I was because I had cheated. Karma caught up to me. And now I'm the jealous guy that I didn't respect, that I didn't want to be. And I, and I was losing respect for myself. So then I thought, okay, Frank. And my buddies, my buddies Skip, remember Javier. I mean, they remember like, whoa, what's going on with Frank? It was, it was, it was not right. I'm this super strong guy, this philosophical guy, this truthful guy, and man, I got what I deserved, big time. So, I thought, you know what, about two, two and a half years in, three years in, I think it was two and a half years in, and I was like, you know what, you cannot go on like this, brother. This is not you, this is not who you are. You gotta come to, to, to grips with this, and you gotta be a strong, confident man once more or else you just don't need to be dating any woman because it's doomed if you're the jealous once you're the jealous boyfriend i mean like in that possessive way in that needy way in that who's that what are you doing where are you going what time are you getting home once you're that guy the relationship's done women too i mean the relationship's done at that point you got no you got no chance it's just it's a it's the clock's ticking you can't sustain that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to mind jitsu this. I'm like, you, you got to fix this. How are you going to fix it? So I put myself, I said, okay, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, what would happen? You have a girlfriend and you come home one night and you unlock the door, you walk in, whatever, the bedroom, and bam, there's a woman you care about with a dude, or with whoever, with a group of people, whatever. What are you going to do? 
What you gonna do? I had this conversation with a group of fighter guys one time, and it was, I mean, I had, we had world champions in the room. We had this, we, everybody had a story about it, and one of the guys who, who was a world champion in fighting had a story where he had actually had this scenario happen. He's a big guy, and he came home, and his girlfriend was in, in the joint with somebody, and he was like, open up, open up, and it was a pretty funny story, actually. He didn't, he didn't beat the guy up really bad or anything like that, but it was a pretty funny, entertaining story. But I thought, okay, what you gonna do, Frank? You walked in. And I thought, are you the kind of guy you're gonna beat the guy up and yell and hoot and holler and cuss? And are you that kind of person? Is that what you do? You gonna act a fool and intimidate everybody and freak out? I'm like, no, I wouldn't. What I would do, what I know I would do is, I might even laugh in a way. Because the thing is, if I came home and somebody I loved was was there with somebody else, regardless of whose fault it was, I would just know in some way, it's a blessing in some way because there's finality. You just know, I would just know, by my standards, this is over. So, you know, sometimes the relationships that are hard are where... You keep thinking you can salvage the relationship. You keep thinking you can save it. You're on again, off again. And those are torturous. Those are death by a thousand cuts. And you're like, wow, you, you hang on for another six months, another year, or whatever. Sometimes people hang on for many years because they're just hot, cold, and yo, you know, yo-yo up and down. When you, if you walked in on something, I mean, for the vast majority, if you walk in on that, you're done. There's no wiggle room. So you have finality. You can have closure. Hey, you know what? This is done. This is this is irretrievable at that point. So that's the worst case scenario for me. Can you live with that if you came home for Yeah, I can. Yeah. I could get over that. Of course. I could. Absolutely I would. So then at that point, really, I just stopped being scared of some woman messing around on me. I thought, you know what? It's about building yourself up, loving yourself, and not not relying on, you know, not basing all your self-worth on them or if they cheat on you, whatever. That's on them, man. That's on the other person. There's some fireworks in the background. That's on the other person. That's not on me. It's not on me. That's on them. And when I cheated, that was on me. That wasn't on her. That wasn't like, oh, she was an inadequate woman. She was this. She was that. That was on me. That was my bad, my fault. So from that point on, I thought worst case scenario, we do the same thing in fighting. I mean, if you're a fighter, you're going to go in there, you're going to walk into a cage, you're going to do a jiu-jitsu tournament, whatever. You're facing world champions, you're training, you're facing killers. They what's the worst case? Can I accept that? If you're a Navy SEAL, worst case, you die. If you're a soldier, you die. What's the worst case? It's make peace with the worst case scenarios in your life. You have to. Worst case, you have a friend, a loved one. I mean, I know a guy, 40 years old, three kids, stage four cancer, lymph nodes. Maybe he makes it. I hope he does. Maybe he doesn't. What's the worst case? He, he's going to go, you know. He, 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 he might not make it. He's got to prepare for that life after. We've got to prepare for life after that. We have to try to make peace. And as we say in the fight business, fight going bad. 
You have to have an idea of, you know, when all the chips go down, the worst case that can happen. And when you can make peace with that and accept that, you'd be surprised. You take away the fear. You demystify things. Because, again, the greatest fear that most of us have, in addition to our own unlimited power and how powerful we really are and what we're actually capable of, that's scary. But the greatest fear people have is the unknown. It's the opponent you don't know. When the, the unpredictable. Imagine facing an opponent and if I was to tell you, look, you're going to have a cage fight. And you say, well, when? And I don't tell you when. It's coming up. I don't tell you the date. I don't tell you the time. You say, well, what's my opponent look like? Where does he train? Where does she train? How big is he? How big is she? What disciplines does, does he train? Does she train? What's their specialty? What should I watch out for? They have a good jab. They have a good high kick. What should I watch out for? You're asking me all these questions. Imagine if I gave you no answers. I don't know. You're just going to be fighting them. I don't know what they look like. I don't know what they're built like. I don't know what their favorite moves are. I don't even know when the date of your fight is, but it's a cage fight and you're doing it. That wreaks havoc on so many people's heads and minds. That's what's unique about sport fighting, about cage fighting. I've seen a lot of people... So I've seen a lot of fights in my life, coming from Baltimore and, you know, following the professional fight biz and seeing street situations. And I've seen so many fights. And I've seen a lot of people, dudes that were crazy, street crazy, street tough. And they would, uh, if you pissed them off, they'd be ready to rock and roll. They'd be ready to fight. But you take those same people and you tell them there's a cage fight. And it's on this day and at this time, and you've got to make the walk. And guess what? Sport fighting is different because you it's an extra mental drain. It's not like you can just get mad and you get a fight-or-flight response. You get your adrenaline, and then you just start wigging out on someone and grab a rock or whatever they grab, and you go and attack the person. It's not just the rage. People, people go into a blind rage, and they don't even think. So they don't even have time to be scared. They just, just react. But in the fight game, because it's such a long build-up, weeks and weeks and weeks, you have time to get afraid. You have time for your mind to play tricks on you. You have time, plenty of time, to fear the unknown. The days leading up to a fight, why am I doing this? Seeing the best of the best, the Anderson Silvas, the GSPs, up close, sweating. Why am I doing this? I want to go home. The best of the best, the mind plays tricks on in the days, in the hours before a fight. Well, most of them, can, you know, the good ones can, can flip a switch. They get there, it's like, all right, well, I can't humiliate, I can't let anybody down now. I trained, and this is a paycheck, and I can't let everybody down. I can't be shamed and humiliated. i got to make the walk, and i gotta, I got to win. i got to survive. i got to do my thing. i got to dominate, or else I'll get hurt. But that's a great fear for people, the unknown. And so when I was talking to this guy yesterday, this friend, that's what's behind his procrastination. It's the worst case. He can't deal. Okay, so you lose. I mean, what's final about losing? Losing doesn't have to be final. My mentality had always been that we're defined by our victories, not our defeats. Right? If Tom Brady has five rings, it doesn't matter that he had... 63 or 65 or however many losses. 
That's just professional losses. That doesn't even include high school losses. He had quite a few high school losses. He had his share of college losses at Michigan. Tom Brady's lost a bunch, maybe, you know, 85, 90, 100 times in his life, football games, where he was the quarterback. But, you are you know, you could say, well, Tom Brady's lost 90 times. He's a loser. Tom Brady said, look, scoreboard, hold up the, hold, let me hold up these fingers for you. Let me hold up these, these five rings, these special rings they give out. That's the scoreboard. That's the shut up, the great shut up, that hand of... That fist of, of, of rings. Because why? Because you're defined by your victories. You're a world champion once. Doesn't matter. It don't matter at that point. Right? That just silences people. So you just keep plugging away. You gotta have a short-term memory. Just like a quarter, a cornerback in football. You get beat on 80 yard touchdown. What are you gonna do? You're gonna complain? I mean, you, you gotta line up again the next time, next go round, you got beat on 80 yard touchdown. You gotta believe, hey, look, you ain't catching anything else. Not, you know, no more for you. You got lucky. You have to think like that. And you have to think like that in life. So that's what's behind, some of what's behind that procrastination. I've had to procrastination. Mine was sort of paralyzed by perfection. My Plenty of procrastination in my life is because just look, just the standard, this perfect standard, this excellence. And so you don't, you don't, you know, it's hard to, to, to write anything or create anything because most of it just sucks. And so you're just like, oh my goodness, I can't write this book because this, this sucks and this sucks and this sucks and this sucks. So you never, never finish the book. Instead of realizing that, okay, you get, you get to perfection over time. You gotta go, you gotta produce a lot of the, the trash to get to the treasure. Right? You, in, in writing, I mean, for a lot, a lot of great writing is, you write, you write, you write, and 90% of it's trash. And then the 10% that survives is the treasure. But you have to go through that process. And at some point, you have to have a deadline, you just do the best you can. And then over the course of years, Maybe everything comes together and you, you win a Super Bowl, right? It just goes your way. The breaks go your way. Everything goes your way. You dial in. Same way with a book or art. You just hope the stars align. And the stars align just by showing up and meeting deadlines and filing and creating things even when they're less than perfect, less than excellent. But you just learn to accept it and say, look, I have to produce and I have to make this public. And... Is it the greatest thing ever? Is it all that I thought it would be? No, it's not. But it's kind of like sometimes in life you, you can win, and you can win at a high level, but you win ugly. It may not be the way you envision. It may not be 42 to nothing or perfect, but just find a way to get the job done. And sometimes what I've learned is that there's no rhyme or reason to things. Sometimes you can just not be at your best, and you can have big victories. And then other times you can feel like, man, I just had the best training camp I'm I'm, I'm dialed in, I'm in a Zen zone, and then you go there on the big day, and then whatever, somebody gets lucky or whatever, and you go home. It's just not your day. Even though on paper, like, wow, I had the best training camp, I feel the best, I feel incredible, it doesn't go your way. You have other days, you feel off in the warm-ups, you feel inadequate, your mind's playing tricks on you. And then it's time and you just keep finding a way round after round after round. You're winning the playoffs. You keep advancing. You keep winning. And then you look up and you're like, wow, I just won the whole championship and I just won ugly. 
So there's not always a rhyme or reason. You just sometimes the stars just align, the dominoes just fall. So he and I went through that conversation. So what you're doing, I have another guy I'm going to be talking to tomorrow, who's of similar age, maybe 30 or so, and another very good guy, sensitive guy, going through a lot of stuff. Grateful that he reached out. But what you have to do with these people is you have to paint. You're painting a picture for them. You have to get them to paint a picture. And you have to get them to put things in writing, for one thing. And you have to get them, I would say more often than not, to have a sense of purpose and identify their why. That's not easy. That's not an easy thing. Because these are people, they've had their whole life to think about why, to think about a purpose, to find who they are, and they haven't. So they're lost, and that's why they're at a point where maybe a deep depression kicks in, maybe suicide crosses their mind, and there you are on the phone with them. And it's a very uh, intense situation because you don't want to say one wrong thing and put them in a darker place. You want to listen, because the buttons are not the same to push for every person. We're all different. We're all unique. And people are going through different things, and people have different fears. People are lost for different reasons. But here you are, in this moment, and you want to get them to maybe think, hey, can we find a why? Can we find a purpose? And I would say to someone, imagine, imagine for example, because a lot of you, I mean, more and more people are atheists, they're agnostics, and, and God bless you if you are. God bless you, man. If the atheist thing is working for you, and I went, when I was a philosophy major at the University of Maryland, uh, seemed like everybody was an atheist or an agnostic, and of course I'm not, but I've been in classes with them, I've debated with them, I've, they were my friends, I've we had many good philosophical discussions, even though we had a different God view. If that atheist thing is working for you, God bless. If the agnostic thing is working for you, God bless. You're happy, good for you. But I would say, let's imagine a scenario. If you're, if you're happily atheist or happily agnostic, you shouldn't be intimidated to entertain this scenario. Let's imagine a scenario. Let's imagine, so you're lost right now, and let's imagine that you were sent here, you're here on earth for a mission. You have a mission. You can't leave. Everything you're learning is for a mission. All the the hard times, all the heavy times, all the depression, all the dark days are for a reason. They're lessons you need to learn. They have a purpose. There's meaning to your suffering. And God has put you here for a mission. And you have not completed your mission. Part of your mission requires you to suffer. And in some ways, almost suffer with a smile. 
Almost suffer with a smile. And let the suffering build you up. And prepare you for a greater mission. A mission way bigger than you. Let's imagine that. You, the atheist, you, the agnostic, tell me that doesn't inspire you a little bit. Be honest. Be honest. Some part of you, just like I said many years ago, fighting's in our DNA. I nailed it with that phrase. Fighting's in our DNA. It's prim- we're primarily wired for that. Not crazy to, to be watching those fights and be like, wow, oh man, we're wired that way. Don't let the civilized us fool you. And in the same way, you're wired for what I just said. You're wired for what I just said. You are wired for to think, to entertain that maybe you were sent here for a mission. Maybe this is a test. Maybe you have a mission. Maybe you're going through what you're going through because there's a purpose, there's a meaning behind it. Maybe. Oh no, that's just all fake, whatever, whatever. Religions have ruined the world. Get away from the rational part of it. Tell me that some part of that doesn't intrigue you. If you saw it through that prism, tell me the feeling lost wouldn't be a little different. Tell me that. Be honest. So what we need to do when we're lost, we need to change, as Bob Proctor, we need to change the paradigm. We need to change the way we see things. Because we need to change our habits and we need to change the way we're looking at things. We gotta start looking at things from a different perspective, a different angle. We gotta start changing our habits so that we look at things from a different perspective, a different angle. Viktor Frankl would say, give meaning to your suffering. He or she who has a great enough why can overcome anyhow. Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche. Right? So that's that's really it. That's it. We've all been lost. Look, I've said, man, the only reason anybody's calling me and reaching out to me for anything, the only reason I've gotten certain speed, the only reason is because I've lived a very rich and interesting life, a life filled with a lot of suffering, a lot of mistakes, a lot of humiliation. A lot of hurt. And because I've gone through that, and I've, I've, I grew up in an environment where I saw a lot of what not to do, and because I personally have done a lot of what not to do, that inverted learning, that reverse learning, that's what taught me, and that's given me a deep empathy for people. I know the spot they're in, I understand it, and understand the thought patterns, and I don't need to be honest with you. Look, I'm sorry, if you're, a psychologist, and you're reading your books, and you're reading these things, good for you. But there's other ways to learn. I mean, there, you know, everybody in history who was smart and who was psychological and deeply philosophical and some great thinkers and some great teachers and some of the most intuitive people on the planet, everybody wasn't just reading everything in a book. Some people were just figuring it out. They were just living. I'm all for reading, but you don't have to read everything. You can just... Feel things. You can experience things. You can live a rich, interesting life. You can pay attention. You can be innovative. You can surrender something higher and greater and let it work through you. You can learn to operate on a deeper level and you can 
you can figure a lot of things out just with your own intuition, just through your own experience, just through, you know, through faith, just through having a deep understanding, going through a lot of things and understanding how the brain works. You know, what I thought was interesting about Viktor Frankl, Frankl, even at a young age, was working with suicidal people, particularly women who were upper class or rich and suicidal, which is really fascinating. He's like, well, what's going on here? Those women in Austria, like, well-to-do, rich, beautiful, and they're suicidal. What's going on here? He went to the extremes, to the extreme people. Because why? Because they have the most teach. That's the, that's the blessings of Baltimore for me. My childhood and everything I went through is now an advantage to me. Because I kept my sanity. I protected my sanity. I protected my sobriety and I protected my smile. And now I have all those lessons and I still have a great head on my shoulders. I have gratitude. I have the experience, I have the empathy, I have the intuition. Now I'm sitting pretty. I'm like Mandela coming out of that prison 27 years, busting rocks. Man, the world looks totally different now. Hallelujah, I survived. I'm still here. Still in one piece. Still got my brain. I'm still sober. A lot of living left to do. The world looks different now. I have all of that suffering. If you can make it long enough. And survive long enough. Survive long enough to thrive. You got to keep your head up. You got to keep going. It does get better. It might be years. It might. But if you can protect your sobriety, if you can protect your sanity, if you can protect your smile, oh man, it gets... The nectar is so much sweeter now. The nectar of success when you went through the suffering, the sea of suffering, the nectar of success is so much better. So it, everything that is heavy and disadvantageous, if you can hang in there, eventually that can be your advantage. That can become your armor. That can become your empowerment. That can become the great teaching tool, the great empathy that you have to connect with others, to share with others, to elevate others, to inspire others. There are lessons to be a great teacher that you can only learn by walking through the fire. You can only learn them that way. There's no other way to learn them. There's no easy way to learn them. You want to be a great teacher. You want to have great empathy. You can't just read that. You can't just read and regurgitate. You've got to live it. You've got to feel it at a deep level and feel other people's pain. Then you'll know their pain at a deeper level. And then you'll be able through faith, through listening to people, through intuition, through experience, you'll be able to help those who are ready to be helped, those who want to be helped, those who are coachable. So, that's it. That's... I'm inclined to think we're all going to carry some cross in this life. As one of my buddies from Finland said, look, Frank, in Finland, you know, we're always raised, don't complain and don't brag. So there are people out there, they're carrying heavy things, they just don't talk about it. They're a strong, silent type or whatever. 
God bless them, I mean, because there's definitely enough complaining in the world right now. But that has its own problem right there. People are carrying a cross, but they're, they're internalizing it. And that's hard on the heart, the veins, and a lot of things. So, wherever you are, if things are heavy, if you're lost, you need somebody to listen to you. Start to set some new habits. You want to see things differently. You want to have a shift. You want to take a different angle, a different perspective of things. you got to start with some different habits. I talk about them all the time. I don't know what to do. Start doing the opposite of what you've been doing. That's a good place to start. Start doing the opposite. You've been eating crap, start eating healthy. You don't exercise, start exercising. You don't go out and leave the house, start going out of the house. You watch five, four or five hours of TV a day or play video games, eh, stop doing that. Do the opposite of that. Okay? That's a good place to start. Your hair is long, disheveled, whatever, your clothes are messy. Eh. Go the opposite of that. You're picking, dating bad men, mean men, crappy men, whatever. You're the opposite of that. Same thing for the men, you know. Start making better choices with that. That's it. You gotta start simple. When you went in doubt, do the opposite. But also understanding to look at those worst case scenarios too. Fight gone bad scenarios. And make peace with them. Say, oh, that's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, fighter, you can get knocked out. Yeah. You okay? You might have been in the emergency room. Get your jaw broken. You okay with that? You accept that? Yeah, I can accept it. I sign up for that. I love it too much. Because again, just like finding you're crazy with someone you love or finding someone who's worth the trouble, finding a sport where you love it so much, even if it means whatever, a bunch of surgeries, chipped teeth, broken nose, broken this, you're like, no, I love it too much. It's worth the trouble. It's worth the trouble. Find the things that are worth the trouble for you. You know? Make peace with the worst case scenario. You feeling lost? Well, imagine. Start imagining. Paint the picture. You have a bigger mission. You have a bigger mission. Find what serves you so that you can serve others. That's it. Now please, for a lot of you out there, stop regurgitating and stop repeating everybody else's script. Start to have some original thoughts. Start to be yourself. You only made one you. Like you said, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. One of the most disgusting, sick things I think right now. You know, I don't like to be Mr. Negative, Negator, but it's just disgusting how much echo chamber regurgitation nation BS I see so much. Younger kid too. Like, come on. Start to have some original thoughts. You can't read everything in a book and just imitate everybody or you watch something on TV or whatever. Like, please be yourself. Trust your own experiences too. Trust your own inner voice. Stop stop waiting for the world to tell you who to be, what to say, and goodness. The world needs original, unique unique characters. It needs that. Badly. 
the young people out there listening. I can't stand. I'm sorry. I mean, it's one, one of the hard things is phonies. It's hard to deal with that. It's gross. Okay, I'll cut you a lot of slack. Don't be phony and fake. It's disgusting. But other than that, I feel really good about what I just, everything I just said. I think it's very good advice for people that are in a spot. People feeling lost. Don't be an asshole. Don't waste your time. Dial in on what I just said. And take it to heart. It'll work. So, God bless. www.frankieforza.com Frankie at FrankieForza.com Be blessed, everybody. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everybody.